Hi, I'm Jack Canfield. You may know me as the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, including Chicken Soup for the Baseball Fan Soul with Tommy Lasorda, and also the author of The Success Principles and featured teacher in the movie The Secret. And if you haven't heard about the 162 Challenge by now, I hope you have. This is a really great, great pledge opportunity for you to make a difference to four charities that are helping kids, that are helping fallen firefighters, that are really making a difference in the world. And what you get to do is for every home run that the Yankees hit, you can pledge from 50 cents up to $5 for every home run. And that money then will be charged to you and go to the cause. And if you're a Yankees fan, you want them to hit home runs. So it's a win-win all around. So I always support anything that supports good causes, so I'm supporting this. So, so Steve, Steve and Mary Beth are doing this great challenge. They're going to every single Yankees game this year. That well, That's either a commitment or craziness, <laughs> but I honor them. I wish I was going. It's really cool. And so you can be part of this. Make sure you pledge. Make a difference. We're always asked, what can I do to make a difference? This is how you can. So go and do it right now. Go to 162crew.com. Okay, welcome back for another episode of the 162 Experience. Couldn't be more excited to have our guest uh, here today. Uh, he is an icon in, in sports business and sports marketing. Uh, he's a best-selling author. He's a philanthropist. Uh, he's just a gentleman that's uh, been there and done that. Uh, Brandon loved your book, Gotta Have Balls. Uh, just devoured it over uh, the last couple of weeks, read it twice, and uh, learned a lot about you and uh, what it took. My parents are both from Greenpoint, Brooklyn, so certainly uh, relate to your uh, humble beginnings. Not an easy place to grow up. <laughs> and, it was uh, rough back then, Greenpoint. And you, what's your earliest Yankee memory? Oh, simple. Um, there's a couple, but obviously the first time you walk into that stadium, you see, especially the old stadium before even they did the renovation, you look and it's just, uh, you know, it's everything Billy Crystal talks about when he says, you know, you just see this green grass, especially in Brooklyn. <laughs> you never saw that much mm -hmm. green grass. Uh, and just even the outside, this big, beautiful, white, creamy white, you know, building that you just can't wait to go see what's inside. Um, certainly, um, you know, I was looking through my programs. You know, obviously, I'm a saver and a collector. And I, I was thinking about this with some old friends of mine, uh, John Palladino and Bob Purtis and Henry Delgadio, uh, Glenn, and we had a bunch of us. We still get together. We grew up in Brooklyn. And... I was looking through these scorecards. We always kept track of the score. We did scorecards. Even when we were home, I kept track of score. <laughs> but we were 10, 10 years old, and we were going to bad days and, you know, 15, 20 games, doubleheaders on oh. a Sunday, waiting in between games. And mm -hmm. that's what I remember. I remember going to see the Seattle Pilots, seeing the Cleveland Indians, seeing the Harmon Killebrew, and also going to Shea Stadium uh, as well. But, um, it boggles me that, that I got on a train with four or five other 10 and 11, 12 year olds, and we went like for the day. No phones, no communication, and that was nothing thought. And back then, Yankee Stadium wasn't necessarily the safest, uh, certainly as it is now. I mean, where you don't even think twice about uh, going to the Bronx, you know, 30, 40 years ago, actually 50 years ago. I mean, yeah, you worried a little bit about the Bronx and the neighborhood. So you got beat up a little bit, or you got mugged a little bit. It was no big deal. It was <laughs> no all deal. part of building the character. <laughs> you know, you know, if you didn't, you know, wow, well, yeah, my watch got stolen. Oh yeah, they took the five dollars. I mean, that was kind of part of the course. But I guess uh, things have changed. But that, that's, that's what I remember most. Uh, you know, going to a lot of those bad days and, and, and watching Thurman and Roy White, and um, they weren't the best of winning days in those late '60s, '70s. Just the end of Mantle's run. And there's one more thing. I saw Mantle hit a home run. And a Twilight doubleheader, left and right, with my dad. It was really the only 
game I recall going to with my dad, um, and I really want to go to a Twilight Night Doubleheader. So I've gone on the weekends all the time, but I just thought about leaving school early <laughs> and watching it was my first night game. And uh, so it was like a day and night. It was really fun. Like I was getting my money's worth, <laughs> you know, two games. You know what I mean? That was pretty cool, and the seats weren't too bad. That was a very vivid memory of that. I, you're such an entrepreneur. Even I laugh when I, I'm, I'm reading your book about how you're, you know, you're, maybe you're at a Knicks game and you're like, what can we sell here? And you're looking at the floor and the nets and the. Um, did you do that? Do you remember doing that when you were 10 or 11? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I was just really trying to see if I could scrape enough money to, to buy the cool hat, you know, across the street at Stands or one of those places and maybe you can get a button. Um, you know, I saved everything. I wasn't thinking about uh, sports from a monetary standpoint back then. But I was thinking of selling everything else, you know. Like, I wonder if I can set up a pretzel stand outside there, <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, you know, I was wondering what the hot dog vendors were making, if that was a worthwhile proposition, and also get to watch games <laughs> at the same time. Um, you know, I, I I looked at sports as, as a uh, escape. It was something, you know, th things were tough as a kid. Um, you know, it wasn't an easy childhood uh, as far as having the comforts. So you know, you turn the TV on, that was cheap. And you can kind of get absorbed in with uh, Frank Messer, Phil Rizzuto, Ralph Kiner, Lindsey Nelson. But remember, there wasn't a lot, a lot of games. They weren't all on easy TV. Mm. So you try to watch the games you could. And that was uh, a good escape for me. And then, you know, playing sports was a tremendous escape because it's something that with the ADHD, you know, you could burn out some of your energy mm. and then compete with your friends. And, and it just seemed like you could be doing that all day and literally into the night. Um, one of the things I enjoyed most about your book, I'd Have Balls, is, uh, is your relationship with your mom and how influential she was on, in your early days. Uh, you know, maybe talk a little bit about that, about how she impacted you and the business uh, guy you are today. Well, my mother was an entrepreneur. Her favorite line was, you got to have balls. She <laughs> was a, a feisty, uh, you know, spirited risk taker, uh, so to speak. And she was always, uh, you know, really promoting, go after it, you know, don't, don't, don't hesitate. Follow your dreams, you know. Be be aggressive, but do it right, and do you know, do it big. I think you know, my mom was a, a great advisor, a great mentor, along with being a great mom. And uh, you know, sometimes you listen to your parents, sometimes you know. Mm -hmm. I was just one of those kids who listened to his mom. Um, I think that a big part of who you are um, is you know where you were raised and who raised you. So, you know, you, you, if you're a young person out there watching this, I mean, you can make believe like you think you know what you know and you don't really need your parents' help, but at the end, they've had a tremendous impact on you. So you might as well pay the rest of the hand out. And you don't have to do everything they tell you, but I, they know you better than anyone. And I think my mom knew me. She gave me a lot of good advice and really promoted me going out to the street and hustling. Yeah, I, I can tell I loved yeah. um, Well, first of all, the sporting club. Um, my yeah. brother lived at 111 Hudson. Oh, right, in 99, right? In 99, and, in 99. and, and so, that was like a, that's <laughs> it. But that's the balls, like, but I just got to tell you, this is kind of like the aha moment. I remember I was standing in front of my mom's beauty parlor. She had a salon, and she said to me, you know, Brandon, what, what are you doing? I told you to give out circles underneath the L, and that was the F train two blocks away. She was on East 2nd Street, and I don't understand why you're not underneath the L where the people are coming off the train. And, you know, in Brooklyn, during rush hour, hundreds and hundreds of people Every time a train would pull and would get off the King's Highway, it was a major express stop. I said, Mom, I got people working. She says, you're 12. What do, you, what do you mean you got people working? And I said, well, I went around to the other stores in the neighborhood, and I got them to give out 
uh, give me some money and give out their circulars. <laughs> and I also, I, since a lot, he goes, well, you, you, your friends can't get paid. <laughs> their parents aren't going to lie. I said, well, I know that. You're right. I couldn't pay them cash, but what I could pay them is fireworks. <laughs> so I bought a bunch of fireworks, <laughs> gave awesome. my friends the fireworks, then getting paid, made some money on that. And then I have my friends giving out at every entrance the circus <laughs> for the four or five stores and your salon. I'm supervising. <laughs> and uh, that's when I knew that I had, uh, you, know, you know, when you're 12 and you're doing that kind of stuff, 12, 13, and you, know, you have that kind of hustle and vision about how to get your friends to work. How to, motivate they, how to motivate them, because I knew the fireworks would work. <laughs> like, so, you know, when you look back at the sporting club, it's that kind of, you know, vision in the balls because I left, you know, I left the, leaving the hard rock. I mean, that's was maybe the most successful restaurant ever I've ever seen open in New York. Uh, and I've, you know, I've been in this business a long time. I mean, 250 people online, you know, seven days a week for the first year and a half. So to, to do that and open up what was a, a really a not known concept, which was the sports bar with a big Caesars Palace scoreboard and a big screen. I remember Keith Hernandez walking in. I'd made some friends with some athletes at the Hard Rock because there were so many rock and rollers going in there that nobody really paid much attention to the athletes. So mm -hmm. I made some friends, Keith Hernandez and Daryl Strawberry, Ron Dawling, a few of those. And, and Keith said, if you have a problem, like, can I, you know, something wrong, like why would you leave that? I mean, <laughs> this place is empty. And why do you think someone's gonna come in here and watch a game and eat? I said, you know, I got a feeling. I, I got a good feeling about this concept. And I see it differently. I see this whole thing different. And I think from an entrepreneurship, what I like to promote at this moment, if, you're, if you really feel like you have some entrepreneur spirit is that, it's not a comfortable, nice, wonderful feeling. Like being a really consummate entrepreneur is, you know, you go into some really dark holes, some really weird places, and you're seeing things that most other people don't. You're looking at things completely differently than the way most other people look at it. And you're almost considered a little bit strange and a little weird, and you will be into arguments and fights with people to try to drive home the way you see it. Sure. And that, that you know, most of the people are driving the way the majority of people see it, and you're, you're in a place that's just completely different than that. And the sporting club is just a typical example of a lot of things that I saw that most people didn't see. And I think you know, you know to get to a true entrepreneur spirit, you need obviously leadership, uh, you need to understand the marketplace. And I saw sports starting to pick up, and you have to be able to, have to take risk. Mm -hmm. And if you can do those three things, risk, leadership, and understanding where the market is and where you think it needs to go, that's a tremendous uh, initiator for, as far as your core to get into an entrepreneurship mindset. Most people, most people fail on the risk part. You know, they have some vision, you know, they're ready to go, but then all of a sudden they don't want to put the kahunas on the table or, you know, bet anything, you know, God forbid they lose, then they get all kind of panicky because as you move into that zone, there's compromise, there are adjustments. Uh, you know, you, you, you know the, your first idea is usually not your best idea, and that's when you really got to get into even a darker, deeper place because <laughs> everybody told you that your idea sucked, and now it's maybe coming true, but yet you know in your heart and soul that that idea is a good one, but just maybe you're just off a little bit, most likely. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, you know, the, look at George Steinbrenner, one of the greatest owners of all time. I mean, I don't think anybody had the vision about a team like he did. You know, I remember him coming up to Syracuse when I was a freshman, and the first person I ever said, you know, this sports thing's a business. Like, what? This sports thing's a business. You go to Yankee Stadium, you look at my stadium, <laughs> it's immaculate. You don't find any paint cracking. The security guards are dressed the same. I run that thing. 
like a tight business. It's well run. I want the fans to have an amazing experience. And everything from the bathrooms, everything needs to be managed and monitored like the way you would a business. And at that time, a lot of ballparks you go in, it wasn't really that great. So, but he had that vision. And then I'm sure, you know, people look at him like, yeah, right. But meanwhile, I mean, look, you know, look look what he did with that franchise and how he built and grew it um, and what it stands for now. I mean, it's just, you can't just, there's nothing. If you're trying to build a franchise, it's, it's always second place. I think to the Yankees. Sure. I mean, there's no better franchise in the planet. And uh, you ever get intimidated in the early days by dealing with, you know, you Daryl Strawberry and Ron Darling and LT and just those guys in the mid '80s when you're just getting started? Um, was that, you know, were you starstruck at all? You know, what's crazy is, is no. I, I always felt like, if not me, then who? Excited, yes. Mm-hmm. Overly excited, yes. <laughs> and I really try to maintain that excitement even to this day. You know, always tell Mariano, and I don't, I don't want his head to get too big, but it's just God knows too big already, but and rightfully so. I mean, great person, but I always say, you know, Mariano, as many times I've been with you since '96, hundreds of times, I'm still excited every time I get to hang with you because I learned something, and I think that people that do extraordinary things, regardless, they always have something extraordinary to share. You don't just become extraordinary and the best at what you do mm. by accident just because you have God-given talent. Uh, I remember being in, uh, on the field at Yankee Stadium for Mariano Day, and uh, I was, they, they surprised me. I was the first person to get called onto wow. the field to congratulate Mariano. Awesome. It was 55, 50,000, the place was jammed. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was just gonna give him a gift, you know, and then I get called on, and you know, I always told, uh, when we out in the outfield with the obstructive view, you know, the yeah. fifty seats back in the, in the early 70s, late 60s, we always said one of us got to make it on that field, you know, without getting arrested, you know, <laughs> either playing, umpiring. And as soon as I get off that field, I'm texting all my friends, like, I'm here. There's something special about going on that field. And, and I've always had that feeling, if not me, then who? You know, I remember like Derek walking, uh, looking at me, going, ah, "How you on? How you on?" So I was the only non-Yankee on the field that day. He's like, "How are you on the field right now?" And I'm like, "If not me, then who? What do you mean? Am I on the field? Are you kidding me? You know what I do for this guy? Like, of course I'm on the field. Like, and you know, I think part of it is, uh, I think what's really important as an entrepreneur, and as somebody that I think if you want to be highly successful, whatever phase, you have to give yourself permission to do that. And I do. I mean, I, I, I have that. If not me, then who? I'm going to work hard. I don't want anything given for free. But I do, I have given myself permission to get to the levels that I want to get to and not feel, uh, you know, not feel bashful and shy about it. Yeah. Was that one of your Steinerisms? If not me, then who? No, but no. it sounds like a good it one. Like, I remember I was in a dugout and the lady, was, you know, I was about to do a check presentation. She's like, don't talk to anybody. I'm like, don't talk to anybody. <laughs> I know all these guys. So I start talking to CeCe. I'm talking to Joe Girardi. I'm talking to everybody. She's like, I'm like, I know these guys. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm ready to stay in this dugout. Yeah. I would always see, when I was on the field, I would always see like, Joe Torrey and Madeline would be sitting in the dugout. I'd like, Joe. I can help you with that lineup. I know I can inspire. I know I can add something. Like, oh, Brand, I think we're okay today. I think we got it. Always with a straight, serious face. You know, I, lo- I love Mr. Tory. I mean, he's such a gem, and he always put up with my nonsense. But um, and you know, that's what made that. That's what made like Joe so special is that he can have fun with that. He got be as serious as serious could be too. And uh, but I always would say, you know. I'm ready to come. I'm ready to like you know. I can be your. I can be your match coach. <laughs> I can you know. I can help out. 
not so fast. So I, I think, you know, if not me, then who? And I think, you know, I, I don't get too caught up in the, wow, I can't believe. Um, although once in a while, like, you know, I, I, I know I'm going to miss some of these days when I'm in my office, I'm having a meeting with a, a Marc Messier or, you know, just the other day I was sitting watching the game with Tino. He just came, sat down next to me in my seats and we watched the game on Saturday together. That's great. And uh, I'm, like, I'm sitting there going, wow, man, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm obviously I know Tino for a long time, but it's great to sit next to him and get his view, knowing what he knows. And that's what really kind of gets me gassed, like, because I don't really always know all the inside. And he's down in the farm systems, you know, with all these guys. And that's what gets me juiced up is yeah. that, you know, when, I, when I'm doing stuff like that, when I get to, you know, do stuff that, you know, I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. I mean, I'm sitting in the first row, which is pretty good from all the way out in those outfield seats. And then now I'm sitting next to like a Yankee hmm. legend. It's cool. And as you're expanding your business, I saw that you just had uh, uh, Otani. You just guys just yeah. signed him. Is that? Do you have folks all over the world that are working with you? Or are you doing everything over the phone? Or we're collaborating. Things? I I think that you know that I think to do something extraordinary, I used to feel like I needed to be dominant. I needed to have it all. Um, I feel like to do anything really extraordinary, I think you got to team up with other quality people and other quality partners. It's probably the best work I've done has been the partnerships, not me thinking I can conquer the world. And, you know, Tani's a, a perfect example. I mean, he's a CAA guy. That's a great agency that represent him. They end up doing a deal with uh, Tops, mm -hmm. uh, which they do a great job. They're trading cards, and we're like one of their master distributors. And I would have liked to have signed him exclusively, uh, but he was a guy that I believed in. But I think he was a good fit for Tops because the trading card was a big play as part of it. And uh, now we get to partner with Top. So, you know, I've kind of learned to do that as opposed to, because, you know, for a while, you know, you're a Brooklyn guy, you know, you want to win every battle, you want to win every game. Not that I still don't want to win, but I understand collaboration sometimes. You know, all of us are better than some of us kind of thing. I, you know, you see so many different um, uh, videos of different guys in the sports world that are endorsing you and saying that they trust you. And, you know, and your word, your word. How great does that feel? Um, it's, you know, it's the responsibility that, uh, it feels good, but I would, you know, people would always say, you know, what's it like, you know, you have Jeter, you have Mariano, you have Eli, you have Muhammad Ali or Cal Ripken, and I'm like, you know, it feels good, but it's strenuous because, you know, A, you don't want to screw it up, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of accountability, and these are brands that are really big, and, you know, I'm running around this office, and we have 100 employees here at Steiner, and you got to make sure that we don't, you know, don't you know, minimize the stupid stuff, you know, yeah. because these are these are real brands that are big and you don't sometimes get a second chance. Yeah, for sure. Um, in, in your book, you said you get asked a lot, what makes a successful entrepreneur? And you responded with, a better question is who makes a successful entrepreneur? Maybe you can address that. I mean, first, I think a lot of times kids are worried about, you know, what they're gonna do, uh, you know, how they're gonna go make a, a quick dollar, or make they become rich. Mm -hmm. And I think they need to become more concerned about what kind of person and, you know what kind of culture, what kind of situ you know what kind of what, what kind of person they want to be, and I think that it goes back to the uh, most people want to do well, uh, so they could do good. Yeah, and uh, I think that the the goal is is you know how much good can I do, and as a byproduct of doing good, you'll do well, and I think that's that's the case with entrepreneurism. I think, I think if you really want to get into your entrepreneur spirit, it's like who can you help? Now, how much money can I make? The problem I see kids, and, and most, and by the way, entrepreneurism is so much more than just business or sports. Or, it, you know, you can be an entrepreneur, doctor, writer, uh, teacher. Uh, I've seen some great entrepreneurs in, in, in politics, although not lately. But, you know, you see all these different method, you know, methods of entrepreneurism. But 
it, the key underlying factor to being a great entrepreneur is who can I help and what difference can I make? And then as a byproduct of helping as many people as you can and difference that you've made, maybe you're lucky enough also at the same time as a byproduct, you'll make money and be financially successful. And I think that everybody is thinking like, how can I get rich quick and how can I come up with a real good scheme? I mean, yeah, sure, when I was you know, 14 years old, I was coming up with trying to get rich schemes. You know, I'm selling conditions on the beach. I'm like, shit, if I sell soda and Oreo cookies, the Oreo cookies would draw the kids in, I'll make more money. I don't think that was like to make the world a better place. That was just an entrepreneurial scheme to try to sell more conditions and soda by looping in the kids. And you know, that's a pretty good idea for 15, you know, those kinds of yeah. things. But I think as you get older, it really is about the good you can do. I, I feel like some of the joy we've created here at Steiner for people uh, has always been my intent. How can I wow people and blow them away, get them closer to the game, you know, get you to meet your favorite athlete in an experiential situation that you never really dreamt of having, getting on a baseball field with uh, your idol or getting on a basketball court with your idol. Is, that's the stuff that juices people up. And then, you know, I've done well as a byproduct of doing that good. Yeah, and what um, what would you say at this point in your career you're uh, you're most excited about? It's a good question. I mean, you know, as you get a little older, I mean, you, you're, I'm, tr I'm trying to reset my purpose, trying to reset my thinking. You know, I'm doing this now 30 years, and it gets a little harder, you know, to get excited, uh, you know, from everything. You know, to reinvent your excitement about being married. I'm married 29 years. You know, re, re, re excited about being a parent in a different role, and that I've got to. You know, make appointments up to see my kids. Uh, you know, they're all over the place. It's supposed to, Dad, take me here, take me there. So, you know, you're trying to re, uh, reset and refire, you know, my purpose because, you know, I've, I've accomplished a lot of my uh, goals that I was set when I was younger. And now I'm, I'm trying to make a, I'm trying to actually become a little more significant uh, as opposed to be successful and, and trying to leave a little more of a legacy with the causes and, and the people that I want to help the most, especially a lot of them that helped me. I mean, there's no way I get to this point without so many people and so many places uh, that have helped me, especially as a young kid and as a young man. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think the excitement for me is, you know, how can I roll back and roll up my sleeves and continue to do the good, you know, continue to uh, help the people now knowing what I know. I haven't been one of those. I think there's, there's, you know, there's something about helping people, but then if you've been one of those people and you've experienced it, not because something happened that was close to you, not because it was some urgent matter, you know, you know, somebody's sister dies, unfortunately, of lymphoma, and now all of a sudden you want to raise money for lymphoma. But it's nothing like when you are a recovering person, you've seen what it means to go through the chemo. You've seen, you've gone to the hospitals. Yeah, sure. And then you know what it's like to be that person. You know what those treatment centers need. You know, I know what those boys and girls clubs need. I lived in them. Yeah. I know the difference that those places make. So, you know, to give back to those places is uh, a true uh, blessing. Uh, I've been doing that for a while, and now I feel like I can even accelerate and do even a little more. Yeah, we well, certainly do, and I love your uh, your TV show, The Hookup, too, on the Yes Network. We're what taking a little break, a little sabbatical on that, but hopefully <laughs> we're going to pick it up this summer. I love that show. I just wish the Yes Network loved that show. Like I think it was like my best work mm -hmm. because it was people love that stuff. doing God's work. You know, you're doing really good stuff. You're blowing people away. Unfortunately, like for Yes, it, it wasn't like the kind of money maker that they see. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't see the the, the genuine, the empathetic part of it all, you know, the empathy is such an important characteristic, I think, in every organization and in every person needs to have empathy and compassion. Um, I think that shows what was important, not only the work that I was doing, 
But it was, it's, it's, I think that people need an example. Like they need mm -hmm. to know that they can do that. So the show, had a, the show had two components. It was just doing the work, but it was showing people that you don't need to write a big check to do the work. You can blow somebody away on one particular day, one particular hour, if you took, took the time. And I thought the show set mm -hmm. a really good example to do that, not only from, uh, wow, Steiner's a good company, they're doing good work, and look at that nice, he's a nice guy. No, like you could do that. Yeah. Like you can go in and, and surprise a, a big brother, big sister, and really take this kid into, and have him experience something. You can go into a boys and girls club and donate some computers. So I love that work. I mean, it exists on brandonsteiner.com, uh, a lot of the episodes, and. And also, I just love the work with the players because I think people don't see the players in that light all the time. In an individual level, when you see their compassion, when you see a Mariano going to a library, or you, you know, you see a, a David Cohn going to a kid's house that's struggling with ADHD, or Victor Cruz who goes to a boys and girls club. Like, I love that show, man. I, I think it was like maybe one of my some of my best work and. Um, hopefully we're going to pick it back up again. We're always doing hookups though here, but whether we do them on a formalized way like on TV, I've been talking with Randy Levine and the Yankees about re resetting that, maybe incorporating that into Yankee Magazine if any Yankee fans out there. Uh, I love Yankee Magazine. It would be a good fit for me to do a feature like a couple times a month. Yeah, absolutely. And um, is it now that you're in the business and, and Yankees are, uh, I don't know, would you consider them a client or a partner, I guess you could say? Well, a partner. I mean, it's Yankee Steiner, which yeah. I'm very blessed, you know, to put my name next to theirs. Obviously, a brand like the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, to give baby and be in the same breath is, is a blessing, and I never take it a day for granted. I love in the book where you're talking about you see a friend in the parking lot, and he's like, ah, I can't be seen with you. And you're like, what do you mean? And then he proceeds, to, oh, you know, yeah. everybody's asking about you. What was that experience like negotiating with the Yanks? It was it was intense, but you know it was exciting because there was unknown, and I felt like my back's against the wall against a franchise that I loved, and I knew that uh, Mr. Steinbrenner was a little nervous about you know ma making sure his fans, you know I think what people don't realize is the Yankees their number one priority is their fans. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's putting a good a good field, uh, feeling a good team, but I don't think that people realize the intensity level they have towards their fan base and making sure they're safe giving them great value. When you walk around the ballpark and think about the giveaway days and some of the little stuff that they do, sure. I don't think, I mean, I've been to every ballpark. I've done partnerships with so many other teams. Nobody does like the Yankees. And it's not by accident. It's really on purpose. So I think, you know, at that time I was nervous because Mr. Steinbrenner was nervous. Like, where is this stuff going? What's going on with these autographs? What's going on with game used? And what's great is I did have a little relationship with Mr. Steinbrenner prior. And then Randy Levine had jumped in and intervened and really started looking in, into the business and, and listening. And he was really the pioneer. He probably doesn't get a lot of credit, but he was really the guy that um, engineered the whole thing. I mean, he, he heard me, obviously understood the concerns the Yankees had, and he did what no one else was willing to do. Because I called a lot of teams up. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. Sure. So, uh, you know, here I am thinking of maybe it ends with the Yankees. And huh. no, it's like no one else is really interested in even talking to me. And here Randy, Randy took about a year and a half of his time on many, many meetings to understand how this works. It wasn't like we just jumped into this. Yeah. And the whole premise of it was when we got past the maybe Steiner, what he is doing isn't that bad. And maybe what he could do could be actually good for the Yankees. And I say this to the players and the fans, like nobody was, nobody was recording and nobody was monitoring, managing all this stuff, putting order to it so that 50 years down the road, mm -hmm. somebody's not sitting with some bootleg bat or jersey or something fraudulent. 
And, and the Yankees had to put a lot of time and energy into place on this. So I'm very grateful. I mean, it went from a very negative, potentially, at least in my own mind, sure. to a very positive situation. And it took a year and a half of a lot of conversations to get there. But I think that it just showed me it wasn't just a money thing for the Yankees, but it was a prioritization thing which says, if we're going to take care of our fans, we can't have a bunch of stuff out there. We're not sure what's real, what's not. And we, we have a franchise where most of the things that occur on a year-to-year basis is kind of historic. And we should protect that. And we should secure it and authenticate it. And then I'm very grateful they trusted me to do it. I, I, we were able to come up with a really good plan that I think has rocked a lot of Yankee fans, to be honest with you. And we've done a lot of really good work. And we've done a lot of really good work with the Yankee players and, and made them some money, too. You know, you talked earlier about risk in business. Was um, was the demolition of Yankee Stadium like the biggest risk you ever took? I know in the in the book you talked about, you know, it cost you about eleven million, another six million in demolition costs and stuff. I mean, the old Yankee Stadium is you know certainly one of the mo- I mean one of the most greatest uh, stadiums of all time on the planet. It's funny we're doing this deal and there's so many details. It, it's hard to even elaborate in such a conversation like this, but. When I tell you two years of back and forth wasn't because of difficulty, but of detail. Mm-hmm. And because you know the Yankees are a big organization and Yankee Stadium is a big place in many ways. And I don't know what got into me, but at the end, because I wasn't feeling like they were gonna rebuild the old Yankee Stadium or get rid of it, but I, I said to Randy and Lon Trost, I said, listen, you know, if by chance ever there is a new stadium where we have to take down the old one, I really would like to be that person to do it. And, you know, they looked at me and said, listen, you know, some of our partnerships, what we think it's going to be, we would, we would trust you and you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. But, you know, you have our word that when we get down to that, we'll make it happen. We'll do it together. And they didn't have to do it with me. They had other shortcuts mm-hmm. to do it. And, and I, when I explained my plan about it, it was a much more work. It was a tedious uh, approach that I was taking. But because I had the relationship with Randy and Lon, like they believed me, that they knew that even though this was more work and they had a lot on their plate with the new stadium, they easily could have said, you know, Brandon, this is just not worth it. But they knew that the fans were the priority. And, and, it, it, and that's the stuff. Like, they made the fans a priority because to let that stadium go and not let every fan get a little piece. Most people would have just sold the seats, yeah. sold a couple of the high-priced items and moved on. I went and I wanted to do hundreds of thousands of items and put a whole product line together, which was really wide labor-intensive, and stupid. <laughs> but I knew it was sometimes stupid is you can't supersede you know what's best for the fans and what's best for the brand. Mm-hmm. And they knew that I was all in on the brand. I was like, listen, I don't know how much money we're gonna make on this thing, but I do know that we're gonna make fans really happy. Yeah. And you know, there's how much money you make, but then when you make somebody happy, that, <laughs> that make is much more important. And I, I'm very grateful that the Yankees gave me the chance to do that it was definitely more work than I thought, and I made a lot of mistakes I- along the way too, but I know that the way we broke the stadium up, uh, it would never be done like that be- again, and, and I know a lot of fans were happy. Do you still have inventory? Not much. We're yeah. pretty much done with it. You know, we're, we're quite a ways out, nine years out on it. Um, we're, wow. We don't have a lot of seats left. We're pretty much done with it, and we pretty much sold everything through. I was really surprised how many of the players bought seats. That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, players around the world. I mean, you know, not only baseball players, but you know, all different. Remember, there are a lot of different events that happen at Yankee Stadium, boxing, and some different football games, and some different stuff. So, there, there are definitely people you'd be surprised when you start getting into the analytics of history at that stadium. 
there are people that had experiences there and they want to have their little piece and uh, we're happy to, to sell it to them and, and, and get it to them and uh, I'm grateful to be in the middle of it. It, w it was fun. Cool. Uh, one or two more questions. I just want to do a quick commercial sure. for our, our charity, as you know we were talking about. I love this. This Thank is you. awesome. Well, well I, I mean, you're front running here because you know <laughs> the Yankees are going to hit a gazillion <laughs> home runs. I mean, I don't think there's ever going to be a year where they're going to, but, you know, I mean, it's amazing between what firepower. So this is a no-brainer promotion. I mean, cool. Thanks. Uh, yeah, hopefully you're going to raise a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be hurting to raise money because the Yankees didn't come through hitting right. home runs. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't mean to cut off your promo. No, I mean. no. You're right. I was on with the, um, so we have four charities. You know, Ed Randall's talking baseball. Of course. Uh, my family comes from firefighters, so we have a, a fallen firefighters foundation. Um, we support an orphanage in Guatemala, <coughs> and then um, Sloan uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering as, as well. And so we try to pick something that uh, hit a little bit of everybody. We're on our initial conference call, and we tell everybody, okay, guys, there's two ways that we're going to raise money. One is the Yankees hit a lot of home runs, and the second is we get a lot of pledges. And we can't do anything about the Yankee home runs, you know. So what you guys can do is help us pledge and, and get the word out and stuff like that. But uh, our goal is to raise 162000 We've got about twenty five grand. Where do you go to do it? So far, you go to the 162crew.com, and people can pledge, um, you know, any, any amount they want. We well, have, cool. I'm going to put that on my Twitter. My, uh, uh, we'd my, love it. Yeah, we'll great. do that. Yeah. And it's cool. We have different amounts. Like the one is the Billy Martin. You know, the three is the Babe Ruth. And uh, the seven is the Mick. And, you know, so people. That's where I feel blessed. Like, you know, I got to hang out with Billy Martin a couple nights. I got to hang out with Mickey. Mickey, love, Mickey really took a loving to me. Treated me great. I'm very grateful. Represented Phil Rizzuto uh, right when he got into the hall. So I had him for about eight years. Yogi, my relationship, I don't know where I'd be you know, without Yogi, what Yogi's done for myself and Steiner. He's just a real loyal uh, game changer for us at Steiner. I mean, so, you know, to think about working with those Yankee legends like Whitey Ford and all these different guys, I mean, it's just, it is a dream come true. And I think your dreams can come true if you <laughs> are willing to put, you know, put the energy and time in to make sure you dream them. How great is it, though, that, you know, you know, to be a Yankees fan and to be able to do your business not just around the Yankees now, but primarily getting started that way. Fun. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I never, I never dreamt of it. <laughs> so you know, people always say, you know, did you ever dream of this? I'm like, no. But I did dream of being really successful and running a company. I always felt that was going to happen. I had that in the cards since I've been a young teenager. Yeah. But you know, I didn't really know much about the sports business. It didn't really much exist. Yeah. So I always thought that was going to be more in the hotel restaurant. Mm. I was a foodie. It seems like you you brought your hospitality knowledge and uh, and everything to to everything that you do now. My my girlfriend Mary Beth, who uh, uh, thanks Mary Beth for setting up this interview. She, she's very persistent, right? Absolutely, <laughs> as she should be. As she should be, and um, and so she's from the hospitality industry. She owned a restaurant at age eighteen, and and so that's one of the things that she most liked about your uh, your book. You got to have balls as well. Well, it's about serving. I mean, I think anybody who's successful knows that it's not about selling; it's about serving. And I think you get a really quick dose and a hard dose of serving people when you have to serve them breakfast. Yeah. Not lunch, not dinner, <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> I want it now, and you get 50 different ways how you want it different than what's on the menu. And by the way, bring me my fourth cup of coffee before you even bring me my first. I mean, it's not a more difficult meal to serve. And I think when you serve breakfast, there's something about that experience. Uh, I always like to hire somebody who's maybe had that kind of experience. Uh, because it's it's true. I mean, it is about serving people. Uh, to be successful, anybody who's 
had some financial success knows about serving. Yeah, it's so funny because that's what she had. She had a breakfast uh, place on the beach down in South Jersey called Mary Beth's Cafe, right? <laughs> awesome. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll wrap it up here soon. Thanks again for doing this. We certainly appreciate it. I'm a, a big fan of your work on Thank the you. field. Yes, sir. And um, what do you think about the Yankees this year? You think we got a chance? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> you know, I don't put the players on the field. And, you know, I'm a, you know, to be honest with you, I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge Yankee management fan, and I always have been. I mean, I think they're one of the best management uh, organizations in sports, and it's not a mistake that they win. I think the winning is just a byproduct of great management, uh, doing all the right things on purpose. I mean, I'm a big Aaron Boone fan. Mm. Love Joe Girardi too. He was he was a good friend of our company, but. Aaron is a great guy, always has been, and I think that's a great choice. And you know, and last but not least, certainly, as I'm a huge Brian Cashman fan, I believe mm -hmm. in him. And if you believe in the guy that's going to get the groceries and, and understands how to put the right talent on the field, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a. I, I never played a day of baseball in my life, so people always say, "What do you think of the Yankees?" I'm like, "I don't know." I mean, the CC's velocity. I mean, how do I know? I mean, that's what you know. But and we're, we're, I, but I, what I do know is, is that we shouldn't take somebody like a Brian Cashman or or even a Randy Levine. A lot those lot shows like you shouldn't take those guys for granted because we see other organizations that don't. That, that spend the same kind of money too. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just the money; it's about the methodology, the strategy. And you know, having worked closely with them, I know how hard they work at that. I handle my little part of it, which is you know, I, yeah, certainly I touch a lot of players and I get involved with certain aspects of the stadium. But it's a small little part. But they're smart enough to know like Brandon's really good at this part, and they've got different people that are really good at the other parts. And that's what I love about. That's what motivates me and it gets me excited is because you know you're working with the best. And they expect me to be the best. So I like this team. I mean, I, I love the kids mm -hmm. uh, so much. I think youth, youth and, and young talent is hot, sexy. And I hope that we, we can stay along that path. There's just nothing like guys that grow up in the farm systems. We draft them. They come up as rookies. And you see them in their Excited. diapers. Yeah. You know, you see guys get their first hit, their first mm -hmm. home run, all that stuff. It's like, I think it's just priceless. I mean, there's nothing like winning. But that's probably the second best thing. You know, we, I know we've now gotten a dose of that over the last two, three years at the stadium, which has been really fun. I mean, to watch these guys just get started. And we've had the luck. I mean, I'm old enough. You know, we've, we've seen Pettit, Mariano, Passat, all these guys come up. And we know the fun that's involved yeah. with the young homegrowns. And now we're doing it again. And it, that's what I want people that are watching to really make sure. It's like, yes, there's the winning. And I'm all about it, and we all want to win. But enjoy the youth and watching this. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's special when you see a Hall of Famer as a rookie. When you see, you know, one of the greats of all time hit his first home run, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And that's what you're seeing, and, yeah. and you have to enjoy that stuff because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't oh, happen year in and year out. Yeah. Have you read Brian uh, Hoke's book? He's uh, the beat writer for the Yankees, Baby Bombers. It just came out about no. two months. Great no. book. Uh, basically, what he does is he walks through everybody from Bird to Andujar and just how, how the Yankees got him, how they got Hicks, and all the different trades. Great book. We actually had him on yeah. uh, our show in Houston we recorded last week. And it's funny how you know, not everything works out perfect, as we're going to find out. But um, that, that w that's the other thing. It's not what happens to you in life. It's what you do with what happens. And I think the Yankees are a great plan B, plan C organization. You know, They don't expect everything they do to work. I see other organizations that have a plan like, that is not working. Yeah. And they will move off that plan and make a deviation or make an adjustment. 
And I think that's really important in business. And it's a great, I think Sports and Tennis Connect is a great example that yeah, you want to put your head down, you want to come up with a strategy, but the ones that can come up with the compromises and adjustments, that's how you win. Yeah. And uh, most, of your, most of the time your first idea is not your best idea, but doesn't mean, or you, a lot of times your first idea is a good idea, but you gotta take your best to make it better. That was mm -hmm. Mariano's thing, like Mariano, throw a cherry jump, <laughs> throw a curveball already, it's enough. <laughs> throw a slider, he's like, well, Brad, I don't need to do that. I take my best and I make it better. <laughs> Till they can hit my best, why should I throw something else? And what I learned from him was that, you, you know, a lot of times people do focus on their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I, I think most people don't recognize your weaknesses as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think pl people play out their weaknesses way, way too much. It's over-exaggerated. And what you should do is play up your strengths. Mm -hmm. Take your strengths, and even no matter how good those strengths are, make them even better. Make them just insanely great. And um, I think that's, that's like a Mariano Rivera when you look at him and you look at you know, some of the great ones we've seen. It's, it's the one thing they do so well, and they don't let the, 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 you know, the weaknesses bring them down. That's awesome. Final question for Brandon Steiner here on the 162 Experience. If you had to give yourself advice at age 18, knowing what you know now, looking back, uh, what do you think you'd tell yourself? I'd tell myself to be patient. You know, I probably wasn't the most patient. Uh, as you can imagine, I was, you know, really driven, relentless, persistent. And I would tell myself to get home for dinner a little more often, you know, when my kids were younger. I mean, uh, I tried to be a great dad, but, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I probably was a good dad with some signs of greatness. And I should have been a great dad with some signs of being a good dad. And if I would have got home a little earlier, taken my time a little bit on some of the success buttons, maybe you know, maybe I missed a couple meetings. Um, I would say you know, life's you know, life's short, but also the, you know, play the long game. Um, you know, to me, it's all about relationships, and you know, take your time. Uh, there's plenty of time to to hit all the buttons you want to push, but there's nothing like more important than family. And uh, so I would I would have had a little serious talk with myself about that, and I probably wouldn't have worked in college. I would say, Brandon, you know, borrow a little bit more money, enjoy college. I worked full time in school. I kind of I don't have a lot of regrets, but I probably regret that. I had enough work experience going into college that I probably didn't need to have to hustle and go work. I probably just should enjoy myself and give my more get myself more time to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I you know I probably would have told myself, Brandon, don't worry about the money. You'll figure it out later. Enjoy college. You ever, you ever get up to any of the Syracuse games still? Of course, I'm yeah. up at Syracuse probably about seven, eight times a year. Nice. I travel with the team once or twice a year, very close with a bunch of the coaches. Um, I'm a big Syracuse fan, yeah. uh, supporter, alumni. Um, just got the Ornst Award, which is the highest award for a Syracuse alum. Wow, so very grateful to the school for, for everything, for what they've done for me, taking a chance on a you know poor kid from Brooklyn that probably didn't, do, didn't deserve based <laughs> on his grades and you getting in and they gave me a chance. and. I always promised them that if I made good, I'd come back and make them proud. So hopefully I've done that. You sure have. Brandon Steiner, thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, guys, you. 162 thank Experience, we're out. The great Brandon Steiner.